you would, turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 9 again. We're going to go into part 2 of, of my message that I started last week entitled Help Wanted. And so, you know, when, you, when I was thinking about the, the idea of this message, Help Wanted, we had talked uh, a while back in staff, and I came up with this uh, little phrase that, uh, that God gave me, and it just says this, do something for someone. Just do something for someone. You know, we can read through the Word and we can make things extremely difficult, but the bottom line is, is we need to just do something for someone. That's what the kingdom's all about. And so, are, are we going to be good uh, with that awesome, awesome man? The smile is smiling. Hallelujah. Uh, somebody else was, I was talking about this over a breakfast with them, and they created a, a statement like this, do something for somebody. They said, just show up. Just show up for God, and then something amazing is going to happen when you choose to just show up for God. Amen. So when we were looking at Matthew uh, chapter 9 last week, verses 35 through 38, it said, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. What was happening was is G Jesus was just a billboard. He was just showing uh, what the power from heaven was. The, the Bible tells us in Mark chapter 1, Jesus said, now heaven has come upon the earth. He, he actually said uh, that uh, the kingdom of God is at hand. And so he just began doing miracle after miracle after miracle, showing what was going to be available. John chapter 14, he told his disciples, he said, even greater things will you do in my name. How many of y'all would just love to do something greater than what you read in the gospel? It's not sacrilegious. It's not blasphemy. It's not a bad thing. It's something that Jesus would have us to do. And the neat thing about that is, is he not only wants us to do that, but he's equipped us to do that. And we're going to look at that in uh, uh, chapter 10 here in just a moment. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but help wanted is what we're looking at. He said, therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest that he will take the help wanted and move people into the place of helping to do needs to be done in the kingdom. Now, one of the things that you have to realize, and turn uh, briefly with me to Ezekiel, and I want to just see that this is not just a, uh, just a, a little problem that's just been happening just for a few years. This idea of people stepping in and being a part of other people's lives, it's been an issue for years and years and years. And so Israel was in a bad state. They were in a place of wickedness on God. They were doing their own thing. They weren't listening to truth. Does this all sound familiar at all to you? But I'm using Israel. I would say a lot of these same things are happening today, but I, I, I got good news for you today. I'm not so focused on the stuff that's not happening in the United States or around the world. I'm focused 
reflecting my life on all the great things that God does every day. You know, when you get to be too locked into all this bad thing and that bad thing, and these people said this thing, and I'm against that, and I'm for this, and against that, and for that, you miss the great things that God's doing right in front of you every day. So let's not battle with life. Let's move in the things that God has given us to do in life. But this help wanted sign has hung out for years and years and years and years and years and years and years. And so in Ezekiel 22, we see that God is looking for a specific person. And one of the things that God is looking for is something that's a great characteristic of a laborer. You see, a laborer just can't sit at a distance and watch everything happen. A laborer looks at what is happening and begins to process it and then starts to figure, what kind of impact can I make? Nehemiah, the guys came back, his, his friends, and they were reporting everything that they had seen in Jerusalem, and Nehemiah took it all in, and then he chose to become a laborer, and the first thing that he did is what God is looking for in Ezekiel, somebody that would stand in the place for those who could not get to where they needed to be on their own, and that's what a laborer is. A laborer is somebody that takes the compassion that God has placed upon their heart for a certain situation, and then they begin to not only just see it, but they, they then internalize it. They not only internalize it, but they partner with God in it. And then they don't only partner with it, but they allow God to use them in whatever needs to be done. The help wanted sign is clear, but yet these things uh, can be fulfilled for the kingdom of God. In Ezekiel 22, beginning in verse uh, 23, it says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, say to her, You are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst, like a roaring lion, tearing the prey. They have devoured people. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and the unholy, for they have made known the difference between the unclean and clean. And they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths so that I am profaned among them. In other words, the key people leading God's people in his kingdom had turned their backs on the things that God had truly called them to do into the places of holiness and righteousness and leading people through a land. And they had morphed into what everyone else looked like as well. And God notices those things. He, 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 he experienced those things. He feels those things. And in verse 27, it says, Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey to shed blood, to destroy people, and to get honest gain. Her prophets plastered them with the untempered mortar, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus saith the, the Lord God, when the Lord had not spoken I, I, I these things happen today 
Why would prophets say something that's a thus saith the Lord when the Lord hadn't said it? Maybe there's something inside of them that's not only not pure, but is desiring attention, people to follow them. Or they're looking to create a gathering of people who will increase their support to them. And, you know, that they would have a voice uh, by saying things that would tickle the ears, but not transform the hearts. And in verse 29, it says, The people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, and mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppress the stranger. In verse 30, help wanted. Help wanted. Jesus said, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it. And in this grouping of people, a vast amount of people, the Bible says, but I found no one. Can you imagine in all of Israel that every, uh, that large group of people could be led astray and it wasn't by government officials. They were being led astray by the church who was supposed to be leading them on paths of righteousness for his namesake. And what a terrible, terrible testimony of the church at that time. And not one person could be found to stand in the gap or the breach, to stand in that place that separation had taken a place in, to stand in the gap between God and the people that, that you couldn't uh, uh, find. But Lord, if we could find 10, would you save it? Lord, if you could find five, there was zero people in this time of Israel that God could find to stand in the gap. And he was saying, if I can just get somebody to temper my feelings against Israel, then I would, uh, I would back off in the things that I would do to them to draw their attention back to me. But he could find no one. Ah, the fields are white unto harvest, but the laborers are few. One of the characteristics of a true laborer is somebody can, that can see and envision the distance of people from God and purpose to stand in that gap, purpose to pay that price, to purpose to pray that the gap between God and those they're standing uh, with could become closer and closer and closer and all the things that stand in between people and God could begin to become eliminated in the lives of those who need Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. The Bible in this instance is talking about somebody that could intercede that could pray to shrink that gap down someone in the place that would help the invasion of darkness in somebody's life to be lifted and eliminated because of the intercession that they would make to the one who's able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can ever imagine you see God is not impotent he hasn't fallen off the throne or fallen asleep he is still able to do everything that he says he could do but he's looking 
for somebody that would stand in the place of destruction, against destruction of the people that they care so much about. The, when they saw the thing that touched their heart, that they could begin to move in that place of intercession to bring light into the midst of the darkness for folks. No wonder the laborers are so few. God is looking for somebody that will answer the Holy Spirit's call. That they would not allow the price that needs to be paid for that intercession to be a passive issue. God is looking for a laborer that would understand today's communion that we took. That price that he paid so that that separation wouldn't have to take place. How many of you are here today, you are so thrilled about what God did for you. And when you took communion today, it just revitalized something in your heart about your gladness. Well, we've got to take that that represents our gladness and make it a motivation for what we're doing. In this particular instance, when we think of an intercessor, somebody who stands in that place between the wrath of God and God himself, between heaven and hell, that somebody that will say, I will take the, the, the place of, of somebody, I will stand in the gap for them. We must understand that no matter how much time, no matter how much sleep you lose, no matter how much the motive you need to do that, that you would choose to say, like Isaiah said, here am I, send me and allow me to do something incredible for your kingdom. So Jesus, in what we talked about last week, we said that there was a culture change that was transpiring in Matthew chapter 9. We talked about all the amazing things that God or Jesus had done in ministry through Matthew 8 and 9, the miracles that he did. And we know that it ended in uh, him talking about praying for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. But now we were going to see the transition beginning to take place. And in Matthew chapter 10, we see this. And when he had called his 12 uh, disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases. There's the names of them. And then in verse 5, it says, These uh, 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, Don't go into any non-Jewish or Samaritan territory. Don't go to any place and, and, and don't go to any place where there would be a Gentile. Why? Because God knows what he's doing and when he wants to do it, he'll perfectly have the timing down for everything that needs to be done. But at this time, he was ministering to the house of Israel. It says in verse 6, Go instead and find the lost sheep among the people of Israel. And as you go, preach this message. Heaven's kingdom realm is accessible, close enough to touch. What a message that we can share with other people. What an incredible way to say the realm of heaven is accessible. Sometimes when we talk about heaven, it seems so far off, and we almost uh, uh, use that when we share the gospel with people. But he heaven's realm is not that far off, people. 
Heaven's realm is accessible and it's close enough to touch. You must continually bring healing to lepers and those who are sick and make it, listen to this, your habit, your habit to break off the demonic presence from people and raise the dead back to life. Wow, I mean, you know, he was, he was just, this was just natural. And this is just what Jesus did. And now he's saying he's empowering them to do the same things. Freely, now listen, freely you have received the power of the kingdom. So freely release it to others. We talked about one of the things that kept people from laboring was is because most times it cost you something. But in this particular text of scripture, this is why you don't take money for what you do when you're just sharing the gospel because he didn't. Okay, he's saying freely you gave it to, he gave it to, to Tammy. Now, if Tammy's going to raise somebody from the dead, she shouldn't say, for you today, for $100, I can raise you from the dead. And after I raise you from the dead, I will send you a set of Ginsu knives as well. So this is, you know, but wait, there's more. You know, this isn't a salesman thing. This is just a God thing. Something from the depth of your heart. Something that brings a transformation in somebody else's uh, uh, existence. Now listen, I want to end this particular text here. In verse 10 it says, travel light. Don't even pack an extra change of clothes in your backpack. And then it says this, trust God for everything. Because the one who works for him deserves to be provided for. You know, Tammy and I found out something very quickly in 1990. We found out something about God's economy. And God's economy will never match the world's economy because what God does in the life of a believer who chooses to labor for him is greater than you can ever imagine or fathom or know because when God does something, he does it so completely. And there is nothing that he doesn't do in the lives of, of those who uh, follow after him and work for him. There's nothing that he won't provide for them. Trust God for everything because the one who works for him deserves to be provided for. Now, let me just make this point here that not only does that one uh, work to be provided for, but as you're working for him and he's providing for you, as you uh, uh, plant something from your life into somebody else's life, there's something that begins to come into existence in the realm of us here in the earth that happens from the power from king, the kingdom above, and it always has a multiple uh, factor to it. Turn with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, and I got to hurry through this because I'm sharing my pulpit today, not with Tim Coolidge, sorry buddy, so not with, not with Timmy, but uh, I'm sharing my pulpit with a, a new friend, and so I want to be able to do that. Now listen, in, in John chapter 4, we know this is the story of the woman at the well, and you can preach this in about 76 different places in what you do for the kingdom. Now, when we talk about becoming a laborer, what, you, what I want you to begin to see in this is I want to exchange the word laborer for adventurer. 
Because when you begin to take the adventure of the kingdom, something happens in you and through you and takes you to places you would never be able to go before. It takes you into situations you would never have anywhere else. It opens up God to you in a realm that uh, would be empty if you didn't have that. And it shows you who God is in a way that you will never forget. Never forget. And so Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. We know the deal. She's got husbands. She wasn't saying she's not married to the one uh, she's with now. Jesus is just ministering to her. And it says in uh, around verse 21, it says, Jesus responded and said, Believe me, dear woman, the time has come when you will worship the Father, neither on a mountain nor in Jerusalem, but in your heart. Your people don't really know the one they worship, but we Jews worship out of our experience, for it is uh, from the Jews that salvation is available. I want you to think of what Jesus is saying there, that they worship out of their experience. There is something about experiencing God in a place of worship that transforms you and prepares you for the part of being the laborer that's difficult to do. But that is called an encounter with God. And when you have an encounter with God, it prepares you for every place that God's going to take you. For God is a spirit, and he longs to have sincere worshipers who adore him in the realm of the spirit and in truth. And the woman said, this is all so confusing. But I do know that the anointed one is coming, the true Messiah. And when he comes, he will tell us everything we need to know. This is how Ecclesiastes says God puts eternity in the hearts of everyone he creates. There's an internal GPS system inside of each life that connects you to God, whether you want to know God or not. You are connected to God. And Jesus said to her, you don't have to wait any longer. The anointed one is here speaking with you. I am the one you're looking for. And at that moment, his disciples returned and were stunned to see Jesus speaking to her. Yet none of them dared to ask him why or what they were discussing. And all at once, the woman left her water jar and ran off to the village and told everyone, come and meet a man at the well who told me everything I've ever done. He could be the one you've been waiting for. Hearing this, the people came streaming out of the villages to go see Jesus. Now Jesus is saying to them, then the disciples began to insist that Jesus eat some of the food they brought back with him, saying, teacher, you must eat something. But Jesus said to them, I have eaten a meal that you don't know about puzzled by this. The disciples began discussing among themselves, did somebody already bring him food? They're not totally connecting, but they will soon to clarify. Jesus spoke up and said this, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and bring it to completion. In other words, natural food is fine, but the food that comes from above is something that drives and motivates you to do the things of the kingdom until, Je until Jesus takes you home, until he comes to get you or you go home. That's the food that satisfies a believer, and that's what people know nothing about. 
The motivation of what makes us a laborer is that there's something that happens in our life that feeds us supernaturally beyond anything else that we need in the natural realm. As the crowds emerged from the village, Jesus said to his disciples, why would you say the harvest is another four months away? Look at all the people coming. Now is the harvest time. And their hearts are like vast fields of ripened grain, ready for a harvest. And everyone who reaps these souls for eternal life will receive a reward. Both those who plant spiritual seeds and those who reap the spiritual harvest will celebrate together with great joy. And this confirms the saying, one sows the seed and another one reaps the harvest. I have sent you out to a harvest field and that you haven't planted, where many others have labored long and hard before you, and now you are privileged to benefit from the laborers uh, and reap the harvest. Now, verse 39, many Samaritans of the village became believers in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. What happened when Jesus spoke to the woman at the well? The one that was uh, uh, full of indiscretion, the one who nobody in society would just go even pitch their water jug together with her because she's already had five men. So if you were another dude going to pitch your water next to this sister, then you would probably be seen as maybe the seventh or eighth or ninth one who was going to be caught in her web. Nobody wanted to be seen with that person. But when Jesus connected with her, his connection opened a door for the secondary things that were going to take place because of that connection. Why do you think it's so difficult when you go out to labor in the field sometimes and you say you've shared the gospel with a person seven times, they turned their back on you and they didn't open up their heart to Jesus, you got rejected. Where do you think the battle lies? The battle lies in the heavenlies. Because not only is that person's life at stake at this present time, but the secondary fruit that comes from that relationship is being bound up in that encounter. And that's why you have to pay the price to labor and stand in that gap between that person and God and do whatever you can to see that the truth comes alive in their lives. It's not about the one, it's about the next one and the ones that follow after that there are people who are intricately connected to everyone who is in life right now and the secondary fruit is what's important to come off of that initial encounter many Samaritans of the village became believers in Jesus why because of her testimony Jesus wasn't going out. That was a field that was being harvest, harvested that none of this, the disciples planted a seed to. Do you understand what I'm saying? The seed that Jesus planted into that opened up the other field. See, sometimes we short side these things. Well, I witnessed to two people and they didn't. Then, oh, open your eyes. See the big picture. Why do you think it's so hard? Because connected to those two hard hearts are another 50 hearts that could be easily opened when they see the fruit that came from the two hard-hearted ones. Whoa, if you touched Benny, 
Benny, I didn't think anybody could get to him. But when I saw he got saved, it opened up my eyes. And I thought, wow, if Jesus can touch Benny, he can touch anybody. You see? That's why we labor. That's why we open a door. Many from the Samaritan village became believers in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. Not because of what Jesus said to them. He told them everything I ever did. Gift of prophecy. Gift of the words of knowledge. Gifts of wisdom that flow in each one of us to do the same thing. Maybe what's going to open their door is when you open their mail and begin to read it in front of them. Woo! Then they begged. Listen, they didn't even know Jesus. Now listen to what's happening. Then they begged Jesus to stay with them. So he stayed there for two days. What was the result? It resulted in many more coming to faith in him because of the message. And the Samaritan said to the woman, now we've heard him ourselves and we no longer just believe because of what you told us, but we're convinced that he really is the true savior of the world. Laborers, come on board. The field is white unto harvest. But I know that sometimes when we read these stories, we read them as if that could never be me. Ah, oh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm just a 50-year-old who doesn't have these connections. I'm just a 60-year-old who's never really applied myself to laboring. I'm just a 25-year-old pastor. I'm just starting out in my career. Why are you hammering with this, this thing of me of being a laborer? Because I know this. You choose to, to walk in the places, you get your education, you get your degree, you choose to, to do what's in that thing in your heart, but then, and then I want you to choose to allow God to take you wherever he would take you with the giftings that he's given you. And when you do that, your life will never be the same. Quit telling me what you're not and what you can't do and what you don't have, and how many things you have yet to get in order in your life. They will come in order when a demand gets put on that thing as you're laboring for God. He will take care of that thing and then move you to his next thing. Mm. So I'm going to ask somebody else to preach now and bring home the last point of my message. So take your time, take a deep breath, and I want you to see what just a, a simple lady can do to transform lives around her. That I was going to be there for two or three years to train up a local staff to be able to deliver live babies to live mothers in an area where the catchment area was 72,000 people and no medical facilities near there. It was overwhelming coming from a busy maternity hospital in London where if something goes wrong, you press a red panic button and all the doctors come running. To landing on top of a mountain with no running water and no electricity. But God 
was there and that was where I learned to pray. The day after I arrived in the country, my plans already seemed to change as a, as a young girl came to me with a 16-month-old baby strapped on her back and said, can you give me a job? I felt sorry for her and the child, so I gave her a job. Long story short, she abandoned that child a few months later, and I finished up adopting that little girl. Her name's Lydia. She's now 28 years old. She's my daughter. She lives in Rwanda, and I have a grandson. He's a year old. A year later, I had a dream. I woke up early one morning feeling like I was holding a baby and it was so real I could feel the breath of this child on my neck. And I knew that God was going to give me a son. I didn't have a husband. I knew I wasn't physically going to give birth to this boy, but I knew I was going to have a boy and his name was going to be Benjamin. So convinced was I that this dream was from the Lord that I contacted a friend of mine who lived in the city center and said, if anybody leaves a, a baby boy on your doorstep, he's mine. Mm. And his name's Benjamin. <laughs> Two weeks later, she drove up the mountain with twin girls. And she said, I didn't get a boy. I don't know if your dream was wrong, but I've got twin girls here. Can you help? And I thought, help. Here I had a, a little girl who was three at this time, Lydia, and now these twin girls came along, six weeks old. Father had died before they were born. Mother died few days after delivery, and aunt had looked after them. I thought, well, I can't let them die. So I took them in. A couple of weeks after they came, it became apparent that they were both very sick. Very long story short, we finished up in the hospital. They were diagnosed with AIDS. Both parents, seemingly, had not died of malaria. They died of AIDS. The twin sister, I call them Deborah and Hannah. The twin sister, Deborah, the, most, the more fragile one, died in my arms when she was four months old. Hannah continued not to thrive. And I went through months of uh, real anguish and quite upset with the Lord in many ways. Here I was, bringing new life, delivering new babies up at this clinic. Everybody thrilled. Mother's going home with live babies. And yet, this baby that I felt the Lord had given to me to care for with life ebbing out of her. And one night, my busiest night ever in the clinic, I was on my own and I delivered five, uh, nine babies over the course of the night. And I, I came... I, I walked home to my small mud house at four o'clock in the morning and I picked up uh, Hannah and I fell asleep in the chair with Hannah on my shoulder, Lydia asleep in bed. And I woke up a couple of hours later and the sun was coming up 
through the, through the window. And Hannah stood and there was a tremendous peace in the room. I had put on a tape with a song that was playing called God Will Make a Way Where There Seems to Be No Way. Mm. And as I sat that morning, it was like the son of righteousness rose with healing in his wings and a tremendous peace in the room. And I made some milk and thought I'll just try and give some milk to this baby before I get ready and go back to work again. I was tired. I was weary. I was in tears. And at that point in time, I was ready to pack my bags and go back to England. But here I was, feeling trapped with a three-year-old and a very sick baby. But that morning, for the first time ever, Hannah drank her milk and she wasn't sick. And the next day, she drank her milk and she wasn't sick. And she started to eat and she started to thrive. And at 12 months old, I took her back to the hospital and I had her blood tested again. HIV negative. Mm. Come on. Hannah's my daughter. She's going to be 24 years old this Christmas. She just graduated with a history degree in a university in London. She will go back to university to start a law conversion year in January. The desire of her heart to give back in some way that her life will make a difference for the life that God has given her. She wants to work with... Uh, something like Lawyers Without Borders. She has a heart to work in humanitarian aid, maybe to work with children being trafficked in Burundi. I woke up one morning in October to the sound of silence in Burundi. Silence because in Africa, everybody has a radio and everybody has a goat and everybody has a chicken that <laughs> cock-a-doodle-doos at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> But we woke up in October 1993 and there was silence. There was no radio, no chicken, no goat. And news filtered through very, very quickly that there had been a military coup in Burundi. And over a period of the next week, over 300,000 people were killed in a genocide. And you know, the world never heard about it because it's just Burundi. It's just 10 million people. Who knows about Burundi? Who cares about Burundi? It was a few months later, in April 1994, that the knock-on effect and the genocide happened in Rwanda. And that became news, big news, because over a million people were killed. But here we were, stranded on a mountain, in the middle of a genocide, which led to a civil war which lasted for no less than 13 years. I managed to get uh, my two children and a whole team evacuated from the mountain. I was stranded there for a week and I don't have time this morning to tell you everything that happened, but the title of the book that I wrote as I catalogued and remembered everything that happened the night the angels came, the, the angels did come one night and they surrounded us, and they protected us, and I saw them, and we got off that mountain. 
God made a way for us to get off that mountain and I made my way down to the city centre. And all of a sudden, all my plans for what I thought was to go and deliver babies, now I had two children of my own. Now the maternity clinic was long in the distance. Now I was in the middle of third world Africa, in the middle of a war, totally unprepared, totally unequipped, totally unqualified for anything that I thought I was going to face. So I thought, well, the only thing I can do is do what my hands find to do. So I set off to start to work in the camps for the displaced, thousands of them in empty spaces. And then one day, I got a call from the pastor at the church, and he said, there's a lady in the hospital, and she's got a baby boy, and um, the mother died, and the father's in the camp, and can you take him? So I said, um, yeah, bring him. So here comes the father holding this baby boy and he brings him in. And the minute I picked him up and held him, I knew that he was Benjamin. Mm. And I looked at his father and he said to me, will you take my child? that he can live. And I said, can I call him Benjamin? And he said, funnily enough, that's his name. Mm. Wow. Benjamin's here with me this morning. <laughs> he's 23 this year, in just a few weeks' time. He's also just graduated from a university in London. He's pursuing his passion in music and songwriting with a heart to introduce Jesus into the world of secular music. God bless him. I don't know how he's going to do it, <laughs> but he has a dream and he has a passion. Amen. And I look at him and I think God made a way for him. Yes. And he's going to make a way. And as I look at you, I can't see many of your faces because it's dark in here this morning, but I know you're there because I can see the shape of your heads. <laughs> what I can tell you is that if you will say to God, I want my life to make a difference, he will make sure your life makes a difference. In the middle of your career choices, in the middle of your life choices, he wants to give you hope. And what he wants to do in you, he wants to do through you. Because that's the way that God works. I started to work in the camps. Here I was with three children at home, taking porridge to feed children in the camps and I went in one day and found a man who'd finished feeding all these children with porridge and there was an old man sitting in the dirt with an empty cup and he seemed to be praying and I said to my friend I need to go and ask this man his story and he told me he was 83 all seven of his children had been killed it had taken him five days to walk down to that camp and all he had was what he stood up in. And I took his cup and I scraped the bottom of my porridge barrel and gave him a cup of porridge. And he looked at me and he said, Madame Missionary, I never realised that Jesus was all I needed until Jesus was all I'd got. And I realised at that moment that his God was so much bigger than my God. Mm. 
that somehow he had found a God to fix his eyes on, that he realized yeah. that we only have one crack at life. Yeah. There's no rehearsal to life, is there? This is it. 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 or more years, this is it. And he had realized at this age that he was just passing through and his family was just passing through and they were in a better place. And at some point in the very near future, he was going to go and he was going to be with them. And his faith and the joy in his heart mixed with the grief was something that changed my life. And I will never be the same again because of that man's faith. And it provoked me to go deeper into Jesus as I went into that camp every day and then one day found a baby on a rubbish dump and took her home. And five days later, I had 17 babies under three months old on beanbags on my sitting room floor. Within a few months, I got 54 children. My claim to fame is I'm single, I have no husband, I've got 54 children all with different fathers. <laughs> this is what a missionary looks like. Any volunteers? Time has almost gone. Right now, all of those babies, they're young men and women. My youngest is 15. The oldest is 27. They're all at that stage now of making career choices. We've got two here in Santa Barbara City College. I've got two in Oklahoma Christian University. One of them, a young girl called Grace. I got her when she was five days old. She was found flushed down a public toilet. Just hours old. I got her when she was five days old out of the hospital. The only thing that stopped her from going down the U-bend was her chin got short in a shirt got caught on her shoulder. She's studying journalism. One day she'll write her own story in her own book. But God is faithful. Right now as we are getting ready to get as many of these young people as we can out of the country into other universities and further education, Burundi has got big political problems at this moment in time. I had no idea when I wrote this book at the beginning of last year that within two months of starting to write it, once again, history was going to repeat itself when in April there was another attempted military coup and the country has been in turmoil since then. I'm going back to Burundi on the 10th of December, I've got another two weeks here and a few days in England before I go back. It wouldn't surprise me that any day in the, in the weeks that lie ahead, the time will come once again when I'll wake up one morning and there'll be a baby on my doorstep. My worker will come in and say, there's a baby on the doorstep. because people don't have food. We're the poorest country in the world and a mother would rather live with a broken heart of not having her baby with her than sit with a broken heart nursing a dead baby. So she'll find a very strange, old, white 
missionary who has a history for taking in babies and she'll wrap him up or her up and she'll leave him in a basket at my doorstep his hand over and over again and we're going through that season of life again when we're going through much trouble but this I can tell you the same God that has given us wisdom the same God that has given us strength the same God that has provided for us and protected us and been faithful to us for all of these years doesn't change there's a verse in the Bible that says greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world and because he is great I'm going to be great. And because he is great, if you will accept Jesus Christ as your Lord, you can be great. And if you will stand and be willing to say, God, I want to be great. I want my life to make a difference. God will do that. He will take your life. He will give you wisdom. He will help you with your career choices. And he will help you that your life too may make a difference. God bless you and I encourage you today to make that choice and to say, Lord, come into my life. I want my life to make a difference for you. If you're interested in reading some of the miracles and stories, we have some books at the back there. God bless you. I'll invite uh, Ben. Wow. That doesn't make your final point. Nothing will. Just wrap your head around that for a minute. A 65-year-old Mzungu, a white lady, in the midst of civil war, and she ends up with 54 children. 54 children. And she didn't just take these kids in. Did you hear what happened? How many of these kids are in universities? one with her. Benjamin was with her at that meeting. See, it's amazing what happens when you allow God to inconvenience you. I mean, she was just a study to be a midwife. She got saved shortly after that. And then God called her into Burundi to just deliver babies because the mortality rate is really super high there. And so to deliver a healthy baby is a miracle in that environment. But then came the first, and then came two more, then came the miracle of the healing of AIDS, then came the miracle of the dream, and then the word was out. The white lady who does miracles can touch and save your baby as well. She mentioned this was being preached in 2015. There was the last civil strife that happened was in 2015. And nation to nation university, Dr. Cliff and his team were at the Nairobi airport trying to get into Burundi to start nation to nations, but they got rejected because nobody would fly into there. And Brick said, I could never figure out why God rejected us from going into Burundi until I met you. And it was your destiny to be in that nation, to do only you guys could do what could have been done. You know, I know that many times when God speaks to you, it's extremely inconvenient. I get it. 
but I also realize and my heart pours out to you today to say, let God inconvenience you. Because when you do what God wants you to do, you meet an 83-year-old man that changes your life. Every time you do something for God, something happens in you that could have never happened. You're never the same again. I can't tell you how many times I've gone away and every time I come home, I'm more blessed than what the blessing was that I left. And so, what do you do? What do you do? What do you say, Pastor, you know what? I'm just too old right now. Or Pastor, I'm too young right now. Or Pastor, I'm in the middle of making something out of myself right now. I, 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 When all God is asking you to do is just say yes. And then let him do everything else that needs to be done. So many times you've had a prophetic word and you haven't seen it come to pass, so you gave up on it. Don't give up. So many times you've had a dream of a, like a Benjamin dream and it hasn't happened yet and you've just forgot about it. Put it back out in front of God. Let God inconvenience you today. Mike and Lacey, will you come up for just a moment here? You know, we, we took Lacey to Burundi with us on one trip and God wrecked her. And now she's involved in more ministries, her and Mike, than, than I'm involved in, in Burundi. And they're getting ready to go over there in, in about 10 or 15 days. And, and I thank you guys for allowing God to inconvenience And I know you're not going to be the same when you come back. I know that already. And they're just an example of just normal people who have allowed God to inconvenience them. And I want to pray for them today. But this is who I want to pray for them. If God has touched you in these last two messages and you say, Pastor, I want God to use me. I, I, I'm tired of the excuse of being too old or too busy or too young or whatever the excuse has been. It's okay. Don't worry about it. There's no condemnation. Romans 8.1. And, and, and quit allowing the enemy to say that to you. Oh, you missed it. You're, oh, you're to this. Stop. There's no condemnation in God. So for those of you who today would say, Pastor, I want to make a difference. I want to meet my 83-year-old man who's going to change my life. I want to do something for God. I want to be a part of, of touching something that now is touching all those kids in colleges in the United States, how difficult is it to get a Burundian kid to another nation and go to a college? Pretty difficult, very difficult, but not when God's involved. What, you, what God wants you to do is not as difficult as you think it is. And if you say right now, Pastor, I want to make a difference for God, I want you to come right now. I just want you to come. You say, Pastor, I want to make a difference for God. I want to make an impact in other people's lives. Just come right now. Don't worry if your neighbor's coming. Don't worry if no one else is coming. Don't worry about anyone else. This is about you. Just about you right now. I want you guys to just begin. I want you to just lay hands on these guys. We're going to do a circle impartation here. There's power in the laying on of hands. There's power in the power of impartation. 
Jesus imparted to his 12 a power to do great things and to transform the world. We have been touched by Jesus. Now we are touching each other and we are saying, we too, Jesus, want to be touched by you. We want to do what you have gifted us to do. And if that's you and you say, Pastor, I want to make an impact for God. I believe there's somebody else out there right now and you're just wavering because you know what God wants you to do is so far beyond what you could ever think you could do that you've just stopped dreaming. And I want you just to come up here and receive this impartation. I want everyone touching someone right now. I know this isn't popular in these days of what we're going through, but the impartation is critical. Everyone touch someone here. First of all, I'm going to pray for all of you who are, yeah, come on up. I had a feeling you'd come up. I just knew you would. Just touch someone. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for an impartation for all of you who said, Pastor, I want to make an impact. I want to meet my orphan that one day will be a college student, that one day will write a song, that one day will change the world. I want to pray for you who you need your encounter with the 83-year-old that's going to make you feel like his God is so big and your God is so small. I want you to meet those people who God wants to place in your life by you saying yes to your destiny. So Father, in Jesus' name, I pray an impartation over each person who is gathered here today. Each person, from the youngest to the oldest, Father, because I know you want to use each of us in your kingdom. So Father, I just pray, God, that you restore dreams, you bring hope to lost destiny, you bring, God, what needs to transpire for the thing that's in us that feels inadequate when we know you're calling us. Father, allow us to give up those things that we've cherished so much, but yet mean so little in the big picture of life so that we could do the things that you've called and gifted us to do in your kingdom. We want to be people who help to transform lives, to touch people that no one else can touch, to go to places that no one else would be willing to go to. We want to be your people about your business, Father. So today, Lord, I release an anointing to each person who is gathered here in this altar area that says, I want to make a difference. And so, Father, I just pray that things that you've gifted each of us to do would be utilized, that that first step to do those things would be today, and that, Father, we would open our eyes and see the things that you have called us to do, and that we would allow you to minister through us, that we would be inconvenienced, God, for the kingdom, but yet know in our inconveniencing that you will do stuff in us that no one could ever dream we could be a part of so father we thank you for this 65 year old mzungu lady father and her testimony bless her in every way shape and form and bless the fruit that did not come from her natural womb but came from her spiritual womb lord enlarge our vision 
for what you and we, we as a church can do in the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for these two servants who have chose to say yes to you, who have chose to be inconvenienced, who have chose to allow you to take them, Father, where five years ago or 10 years ago, they had no clue that this would be their portion. But somewhere along the line, they said yes to adventure. And, and ready or not, here it comes, guys. It's going to be more than you can imagine. It's going to be greater than you can envision. And the puzzle pieces for many things are going to come together, not just in your lives, but in the lives of the people that you're going to encourage just by being there. Doing nothing else but showing up and wanting to do something for somebody. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray your anointing would come on Mike and Lacey. I pray that this anointing would break yokes and set people free. I pray that this anointing would encourage people to dream. I pray that this anointing, Father, would bring an impact and impartation beyond their wildest dreams, Lord. And Father, I pray your hand of protection, your hand of safety, that all the logistics that need to transpire will be perfect and every place in which their foot shall tread, that you would give it unto them. And Father, I speak prophetically over their lives and say, this is a great day for you. This is a great hour for you. And the things that God has brought in your life, the good things and the bad things, were for this moment. For you to be able to trust Him like you've never trusted Him before. To believe for things like you've never believed before. And to just say yes to whatever God has in store for your life. To model to the people that you'll be a part of on this trip. Father, I just pray for a fresh impartation of your Holy Spirit right now in their lives. I pray, God, for uh, you would give them eyes to see and ears to hear, God, this part of their destiny and the doors that are going to come alive, the people that are going to come alive through the things that are going to happen on this trip. And so, Father, bless them in every way for everything that they need for this time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.